It's Monday, December 7th. This is LA Podcast episode 151. Don't have a title for this episode yet, but I will go ahead and say... Oh, shit. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. Not not much as a play Just on no, words. We have but, no pun. This week. We, have yeah. we have literally I, nothing. I can't, I can't argue with the, the sentiment. Thank you to Brian Holmes. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, our Sepulveda Pass holders. We've been teasing this for a while, but we are actually going to be putting out our report on uh, Project Room Key this week, our, our first piece of new reporting that we've got up on the blog. Hayes has been true to his word, better than his word, just like Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, he is posting a, a series of very good blog posts. I recommend that you check them out. If I um, if I can find the time, I will also be putting up some election analyses and maps on on thelapod.com as well. So look out for that. Um, and now let us begin our, our episode tentatively titled, Oh Shit. Hayes, Alyssa, how are you guys doing? Just a little, just a little scared. It's been hitting in waves and the, the, I kind of woke up panicked on Friday morning or sorry, it's been hitting in waves and I kind of woke up panicked on Saturday morning and um, that hasn't really gone away. It's weird for like starting these episodes. I think we try to like anchor like just a general, like how the week is going and it's harder and harder to do when you know things seem bad when it comes to the outbreak but now for three consecutive weeks i feel like we've started in saying okay now it's much worse than it was last week and like now we're in this like even more dire situation so yeah today everything we have this entire episode is going to be about just kind of like breaking down what's going on with the pandemic the new restrictions the what's happening in our local hospital system just like everything in, in one way or another is going to be related to COVID because right now we are at a, a really perilous point in, uh, in, the, in the pandemic. So I think w- like when we talk about the severity of what's happening, often I heard Barbara Ferrer talking about this the other day. We're usually dealing with the impact on the medical system of cases that happened like two weeks ago, right? Right. So I, I like I want to go back to two weeks ago today in L.A. County, what what cases were like two weeks ago on Sunday, there were only two hundred and two thousand seven hundred and eighteen new cases and uh, one thousand four hundred and one people hospitalized with covid. The next day, Monday, the 23rd, there was a big spike. There were six thousand one hundred and twenty four new cases that day. That was a high and 1,473 current hospitalizations. So it was those new cases that we are now seeing yeah. going into the going to the hospital. Some percentage of new cases are always going to be severe enough to need hospital care, and some percentage of those are going to need ICU care. So in those last two weeks, since the 23rd, the number of people in the hospital with COVID has more than doubled. Today, LA Public Health announced that there were 2,855 people hospitalized. That Those are actually yesterday's numbers. The more updated numbers from today are uh, 2,988 people in the hospital. And you get those uh, and- from the state. It's not super clear to me why why the state has different info than the county. Again, this this was a, an issue earlier than in the in yeah. the pandemic, but now we're my back explanation there. is they always go with the case numbers from the previous day. So, like all of the numbers that they give us are from yesterday, right? So just to be like consistent, and so that's why we usually use um, just the LA Public Health numbers across the board. So almost three thousand people in the hospital mm-hmm. right now. And today we set a new record for new cases with 10,528. Wow. That's a new record by almost 2,000 cases, beating the record that we set yesterday, which beat the previous record that was set the day before that. We have had a new record high in cases. And what that means is what we're seeing in terms of the burden on our hospital system is is going to get 
significantly worse in the next few days. There's basically no way this this massive number of cases, it's not corresponding to a huge increase in tests. It's, it's corresponding to a big increase in the percentage of tests that are positive. You guys said, I think that we had, as of this past week, the number of positive COVID tests out of the total it's like one out of every seven people in LA County now that get uh, that get a test are, and that's that is essentially doubling from what it was a, a month or so ago. Yeah, I think it might have actually even gone up from that into like closer to some days. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was something like one in in four, roughly around there. Oh, sorry, twenty seven point. Yesterday it was twenty seven point four percent of of tests were positive. So it's wow. it's even more. That's than incredible. I have not four. seen that. That is really really frightening. Like you said, so, with with what Barbara Ferrer said earlier this week, I, I thought that the way that she put it was appropriately frightening. Um, and um, and I, I think that maybe her her actual words are at this point tending to get a bit drowned out in in a lot of the broader political missteps and everything but it's worth reading this via Claudia Pashuda of of KNX 1070 so her numbers that she used were we had 49,000 people testing positive this week as you mentioned Hayes it it ends up being about a two week period before any number of those people will or any significant number of those people will be hospitalized if 10% she says are likely to end up needing hospital care that's 5000 patients that go into the hospital system and if even 20% of the hospitalized patients i think traditionally we see more like 25% then then need icu care then that means that we will need an additional 1000 staffed icu beds above what we have currently so we are at this point baked into an overflow of our existing hospital supply. Yeah, I said two days ago that I didn't see any way that we could avoid that. And the two successive days were much worse. Right. So what do we have in terms of like, what's our total supply of beds like in L.A. County? Yeah, so we we do have some numbers on this. They mostly come from the Department of Health Services as opposed to the Department of Public Health, which is what Barbara Ferrer is, is the head of. The Department of Health Services runs four hospitals of its own, LA County at, at USC, along with three other locations spread throughout the region. But beyond that, there are 70 hospitals total that are part of a a network of 911 call receiving hospitals, 10 additional that don't typically receive 911 patients. This constitutes what DHS is looking at as the total staffed inventory of hospital beds. That is about 17,000 total. So if we were to just look at that as as our non-ICU supply, about 2,500 additional staffed ICU beds, we have around 20,000 beds in the county. So now when we look at what we have in terms of existing hospitalized COVID positive cases, that comes to, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20% of the total capacity of the system right now and and increasing rapidly. Of course, there are other patients that, that hospitals have to deal with. And we are entering the flu season where traditionally we might have a lot of patients needing care for reasons other than COVID. So the the capacity of the system is a real concern at this point. And we haven't heard really any big mobilization to open up extra hospital space yet. I mean, I know it was said earlier this week that, you know, the convention center is still ready to go at any point when needed from the summer but we don't we haven't heard about things like St. Vincent's, the hospital that is in, you know, like Westlake area that was supposed to be staged. Maybe it still is. We don't have the Mercy, of course, returning. I haven't seen any of those. Conver- I mean, I, I'm not saying they're not happening, but we just haven't seen the same preemptive announcements uh, for that yet. 
That's what is so odd about all of this to me. I wrote a little about this on the site. You compare what's happening right now to what was going on in March and April. March and April, when we did the city shutdown, we shut it all down. We shut down basically every industry. We shut down all retail. Every office environment was closed. And of course, like all schools and like public spaces, restaurants totally shut down. And we brought in all this extra space, all this hospital space. So they activated St. Vincent's, which was serving patients for a while and then shut down as a COVID unit. The Mercy ended up, you know, coming up from San Diego or wherever it was. And, and I think saw like 77 patients. They overdid it in terms of what they needed in turn, like of capacity. And now we have a much worse situation in terms of cases. Like we are seeing the nightmare scenario that we were worried about about in, uh, in March and April where the, the virus is just running roughshod through the, the county, just seemingly unchecked. But we don't have that capacity. It doesn't seem to be mobilizing. Garcetti did say the convention center, he had had an option earlier in the fall whether or not to just shut it down or keep it on quote life support not you know the best choice right. words to use but but he did keep it on life support he said and so it should be able to be activated relatively quickly but with all these scenarios the, it's an overstretched hospital system that leads to the 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 biggest tragedy of of pandemics in various places that's what happened in italy and lombardy and in new york we could see a situation where medical staff are in much more dangerous situations there aren't there won't be as many of them per patient and care will start to be rationed which will negatively affect not just covid patients but also people who go to the hospital for other reasons in general we and we also haven't reacted in the in, in the county or in the city with quite as much proactivity as other places or as much as we did in in March and April. Retail's open. Every business, every retail business, they're open at reduced capacity, but you can go in. We I think it's today, Sunday, that uh nail salons and uh, tattoo parlors and barbershops are are now closing, but they've been open for the last month. I was talking to someone, my neighbor who uh, uh, directs commercials. Those are still going. You can still go to a, a, a film set. Uh, so it's in this environment. We have fewer restrictions and and much, a much worse outbreak than we've had previously. And we're heading into Christmas. And it's, it's hard, too, because I feel like you you look back at uh, at earlier this year, spring in general, I guess, when we did have more of the the surge in place in terms of um, the the sub supplemental hospital beds, mm -hmm. that ended up largely going unneeded. But it's it's hard to also assess because the the desired result is that you don't end up with patients without beds, patients without nurses, patients without doctors, and by that measure, it's it's seems like that was successful and it, and we had sufficient capacity to meet meet the demand it is hard to it's hard to really say that we shouldn't be doing at least as much now even though there is a i mean i guess at this point there's not a possibility that we won't need that extra capacity but but if the fear is that you end up going with capacity that that becomes unrealized I think that the much more pressing thing is to address the worst, like the tail end of the the outcome spectrum that is so catastrophic. Mm -hmm. There was a really good article in the Los Angeles Times by Times by Jacqueline Cosgrove and Sumia Karlamangla two days ago, maybe yesterday, uh, as as we're recording this on Sunday, and it was specifically about this increasing need for surge capacity in some mm -hmm. parts of because we deal with a huge area here in Los Angeles County as our reporting jurisdiction um, there 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 is an unequal spread already in the the yep. distribution of patients there are are parts of the county in particular in the San Gabriel Valley and uh, in the Antelope Valleys where 
there are fewer hospital resources available. And, um, and of course, the county is large enough that transferring patients is difficult, especially if they are in precarious condition. So they, that is Cosgrove and Carla Mangla, they look at why we're not doing some of these things currently and more or less conclude that it's about staffing. It's about pretty much like, do you actually have the resources in terms of nurses, doctors, specialists who can operate ventilators if, if needed in order to actually respond to requests to move them to reopen facilities elsewhere. And that, I guess, is now so impacted that it's that it is a bit of a struggle to do that. Yeah. I mean, also like comparing it to March and April, what we also did well then was keep cases from rising too quickly. Yeah. We like the action that was taken was before really there were any cases in LA County even, or like a, like a a single digit numbers Mm -hmm. and we shut it all down. And what, what, what that led to was a curve that was sort of like a hump. Like it it was growing, but like the, the, the increases in cases were getting slower over time. Our curve looks completely different now. It's inverted. Yeah. Uh, It's, we have not seen it start to hump over yet. And we don't have those restrictions in place. This is happening despite the fact that we have total 100% awareness of the virus in L.A. County now, which we didn't have, uh, I imagine, as much of back in March and April, just like how everything worked. So the menu of options is kind of limited at this point. And no matter what you do now, it's not enough to avoid the biggest disaster because, like we're saying, the cases are already out there. The cases that are going to put people into the hospital and overflow them are those people have been infected already yeah and i mean the just in terms of raw raw statistics what what we were talking about a few minutes ago when we have when we have this foreknowledge that some substantial proportion of the people who get infected with the the disease will need to be hospitalized the next several weeks look very very frightening here and and from the from the place where we were where Los Angeles had a relatively mild first wave of covid now as we start the second wave LA is looking much more like places that were very badly hit yep. in the first in the first wave places right. like New York City for example and it's and it's you you run out of words to describe it it's very very frightening, and I, I think that we're we're all very concerned about how bad how bad things will get over the course of the coming weeks. Just to, to throw out another statistic, LA County, with about half the population of Florida, I saw Sumia Carla Mangla Car- posted this on Twitter. With about half the population of the state of Florida, L.A. County is registering, I think with these new numbers, probably more cases per day, more new cases per day than the entire state of Florida. So the rate of growth here is very dire. And and Florida as a whole has been doing relatively poorly, but twice, apparently twice as well as we are currently. We're not seeing that kind of national and like global attention that Italy and New York got because it is happening all over the country. We're seeing rising cases all over the country. Right. But LA is indisputably a hot spot yeah. right now. Even even in that landscape of things getting worse, uh, it's it's happening more quickly here. Alyssa, like let's talk about the new restrictions, kind of what happened this week. There were multiple Garcetti shows after a break from November twenty third. He went back on the air. What what happened this week in terms of the new rules being put down? Yeah, we had we had the first the first show was on Wednesday night, a day later than they usually are. So that it was the longest we had gone with a without a briefing. So you know me, Emma. You're a fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say something else. I went back and listened to our shows, talk the COVID conversations for the past two weeks, mm-hmm. and we. We went through all the county restrictions on last week's show because they had come out and we talked through all them, what was different. And and the week before, we were talking about that these were coming. You know, we knew these things were going to happen. So it was very strange that at that first briefing on Wednesday night, 
he didn't really talk about the county's order at all. No. It was just more of like a, we're in this together, and then announcing two programs. One of them was a relief program for restaurant workers from the mayor's fund. The other one was something about students and internet, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, All overshadowed by what happened next. And it was just a quick pep talk, and then he was gone. And then a couple hours later, we all got an emergency alert. Not the wireless emergency alert that where you get like the buzzing and the the full one that goes to all the cell phone users is just if you had signed up for notify LA so that created one level of confusion because we had that one a few weeks ago where it said cases are going up get tested that was the emergency that was alert to that, everybody to everybody and mm-hmm. then this one just went to notify LA so a lot of people were like I didn't get it why didn't I get it so that was that was the first the first challenge faced by this information right. and the second I will say, one being, I think I'm signed up for notify LA I certainly try to a lot of people didn't get it didn't even though it. they signed up for notify LA too yes I heard that from a lot of people I am the emergency alert uh switchboard <laughs> for the <laughs> for the city of LA I got so many texts most of them were from Hayes but but just asking all these questions about like what the hell is going on and I hadn't even looked at my phone I was like doing something so I came back to my phone and it was just the the alert itself was just overwhelmed from like dozens of people asking me like what the hell right. is going on because the messaging was so vague Mm-hmm. And then it sent you to a website that was equally vague, yeah. but the first link, the actionable link, the the thing they wanted you to read was the mayor's an, a mayor's order that we didn't know had been I didn't know that was coming. He you didn't, didn't say it. he was no. going to do it. it. Yes, the city has done them before, but it doesn't really make sense for them to do one now since the county had just passed one a few days ago that covers the county. We knew what it said. But the mayor's order is written in a terrifying way. The one in March was too. But if you told millions of people in the city of L.A. to read this, they will freak out, which they did. And and not only we'll go over like some of the problems, but not only did people start freaking out, but news organizations like KTLA, there were other places that got it wrong, but there was there was Forbes, for example, all ran with this and wrote Bloomberg. They all wrote these stories that were that night hugely alarmist and not really reflective of what the order was trying to communicate, which I do understand is difficult. Yeah, it was a fascinating piece of really horrible communication where the 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 top the headline even of the order is residents of Los Angeles are not allowed to travel by any format for any reason. And they listed a bunch of ways that you aren't allowed to move around, including foot, foot, bike, car, plane, whatever. You can't go anywhere. And then, and so that's what KTLA and others ran with. They say you're ordered inside your home and you can't leave. But then there was this very long list of exceptions, including going to basically any business like it, like you could do just an infinite number of things when you leave your house, but even then they neglect. It's, it was different from the March order because in March they they made it clear that you can just go outside and just like exercise recreationally, go for a walk, go for a bike ride, do all that stuff. They did not mention that at all. No. In fact, they they explicitly outlawed it. Yeah, in this order. And that's, I mean, that was a mistake. Like, that, they're acting, like, now, like, it's just a county order. Like, what's the big deal? You were confused? Like, that was yeah. an actual error, which we, they we, had to correct. Yeah, we, we have to. The, the, the messaging, like you said, was terrible. The, it was so bad. It was, I mean, beyond burying the lead it was like a tactical detonation of the lead there you could not find it if you were looking for it the and so of course news agencies had an an issue trying to communicate what was in there because it was almost it seemed almost intentionally hard to comprehend what was in there mm-hmm. and then i agree like what what is really even worse is that the whole uproar about this which honestly if you 
weren't particularly tuned into the messages or to the the documents coming out of City Hall anyway. If you weren't on social media, you for example, be. you shouldn't right. have to. You, you shouldn't have to be. But like, I, I just want to say, like, it, I feel like most of most people do not even know that this order exists or that it was put out there. You know, like the, the, So, just from a simple messaging standpoint, as we heard from seemingly one million white men in government that this is their their attempt to communicate that things are very dangerous right now. Not a great job because probably most people have not even seen or heard this order in any way, shape or form. The people that did read it are confused and upset. And so like definitely not a triumph of of the communications age, I would say. I guess they did a better job. I mean, like if it was just a way to make some news for an order that had already been in place for two days, I guess that was effective because I remember like reading and, and hearing like this is just the county's order. And I was like, oh, I had no idea that this that it was so restrictive that you like couldn't go outside for a walk or whatever. And then they said that. You actually, oh, no, you actually can't. But also, I think that's what was so frightening. Also, because another thing that people are really worried about, the the walking and biking thing, yes, but also that if you read through the order, and God bless you, it's 14 pages long, and you will fall asleep before you finish, but it says if you disobey, you will you will get a yeah. misdemeanor. And I think people don't really know. Of course, that's it's not really like that. It hasn't been enforced like that very strictly, but like people were freaking out. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they would be restricting walking because that's what a lot of cities mm-hmm. did in Italy yeah. and France and all these places that were really hard hit. You actually could not go out for a walk or you could go out for like an hour per day, depending on your you Remember all those Italian mares chasing people like like, like you're shooing pigeons away like chasing people inside (laughs) right so i i think i mean it was not only a a disaster of of communications it got the right wing folks who want more freedom quote unquote Mm -hmm. really riled up and to this moment on Sunday, there are dozens of articles just being churned out that say LA mayor bans walking and people are sharing them at the same rate that they were that night, including like the Forbes, yeah. the right wing Forbes story and, you know, all these other places that have and and God bless places like LAist and LA Times that were all the reporters were on Twitter together. We were all like, what's going on? Like somebody help us and wrote great explainers. But the quotes all from the mayor's office were like, oh yeah, yeah chill out you're people. Confused. It's like just it's, the mirror of the yeah. county order. But nobody knew that. Nobody knew that. That's, I mean, that's the tone that is the most, I think, frustrating for the people who are actually trying to, I, I mean, Alyssa basically got scolded for not doing the job that the mayor's office was unable to do and um, and like breathing some sort of comprehensibility into this document. Uh, but like, how, how can you do that when this is the source that you're provided? And, and then for the tone from, from city government to basically be, it's so simple. The message is things are very serious right now. And like, why are you confused is, is, a sign that things are not going to improve on this front. The the politicians and 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 the cohort in which they move have determined that this is a an an audience problem. This is not a problem with their messaging. So we're not going to have better messaging going forward. And even looking at the beginning of the pandemic where we I think all thought the mayor's office was doing a great job kind of in the absence of the county really stepping up with this type of, you know, the nightly briefings and really great data. You know, we finally saw that, you know, the the city kind of rise to the occasion, kind of being the de facto leader of, of, you know, the counties. And it seemed, I went back and looked at like the early messaging and it just seems like it's being done by different people if they mm-hmm. very might sure. may well be because those people might have left or are not not doing the same jobs anymore because it just seems like a completely different tone the FAQs haven't even been updated on the main city site 
you you have like some great stuff shared at the the nightly events or they're not nightly anymore but the the mayor's briefings but none of that translates to the communications and the rest of the twitter or the social media or any mm-hmm. other place that people might get it council member elect nithya raman put out a thread saying exactly in much clearer terms what the new rules were and i saw so many people seeing like oh this is the first time i've ever seen them really laid out yes. clearly but even that, you know, it took a couple of days to sort of figure out exactly what they she's, what they she were. To do that. She's got other stuff to do. Well, like, she's not in just... office yet, for one thing. <laughs> oh, she's just sitting at home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. But, but I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's bad on both sides. It's bad for people who are taking this seriously and want to stay home and are trying to stay home because yeah, a lot of people say that they're like, what's the difference? Just stay home. Well, no, some people still have to work or go places and they need to know what they're allowed to do. We also have a curfew on top of this, Mm -hmm. which nobody has really accurately explained. You know, that doesn't even really come up anymore. Like that's still a huge concern for people. And then, yeah, you have, but on the other side, you have uh, other people who are just being like, well, this is taking away my my livelihood and I hate this. And that's going to be a problem, too, as we merge now into this Southern California region that we've been demarcated in by the state. And we'll talk about that next. But like we're with other counties now that have much less strict um, uh, restrictions and also not probably no messaging really on the level that we have from LA County. So I think we're probably going to become the de facto communications for these entire Southern California Mm -hmm. cohort. Like half the state's population is going to be looking to us to do this right. And we have to do it right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like you were talking about the press conferences and how they do provide useful information, but I think that's somewhat undermined by the fact that both times this week, the press conferences happened. Then an order came out two hours later that was not meaningfully addressed in the in the press conferences that just that like the the pressers become outdated almost instantly uh and the second time that happened was on friday where mayor garcetti came out and he did talk about how like we are you know stay home we are losing our hospital capacity we sometime in the future once we fall below 15 percent of our icu capacity being available there might be there will be rule changes that Governor Newsom has introduced that will shut down more businesses, will reduce capacity in essential retail, like grocery stores, stuff like that. And then it happened like an hour later, yep. which I think was well ahead of schedule that was anticipated. We actually beat the order being even implemented by the yeah. state. So, like, it, Well, it speaks it's, to the volatility yeah, right, of this yes. metric that, that they're using because we had been – what you would probably look at as as a comfortable margin above that only days or the day of that announcement being announced so we had i think mm-hmm. maybe 8% above 8 percentage points above where we needed to be at uh, 15% vacancy and then very quickly in the space of a day dropped underneath that threshold i want to i mean just get off on sort of a sidetrack about Garcetti because we haven't really talked about his other potential future career options as we've talked about Department of Transportation for him and Biden's cabinet that train is sort of leaving the station seemingly without Garcetti being able to federally oversee the trains he's sort of like running after it like in a (laughs) 1940s movie (laughs) but there are all these articles coming out with like other, you know, the news media is floating all these other positions for Garcetti. Seemingly, they're talking about ambassador to Mexico, where uh, some of his family members are from. They're talking about also the this kind of climate czar position. John Kerry was appointed to as a special climate envoy in the Biden administration, and Garcetti was talked about as someone who might work in the White House as someone coordinating climate efforts across the country. So what that says to me is Garcetti is open to other positions outside of the the actual cabinet. The Biden administration is looking for a place to put him. There's a mutual desire on both sides for Garcetti not to be mayor of Los Angeles anymore. And (laughs) the climate czar, I texted you both this at the time, the, the climate position is looking, I think, very promising for Garcetti. 
for a couple reasons. One being that it's not something that you uh, is um, Senate approved, yeah. so nobody gets uh, a pointer out and takes a photograph and blows it up on a piece of cardboard and puts it on an easel and saying, uh, Mary Garcetti, is that you in this picture giving the, the double thumbs, thumbs up? How many thumbs up are you giving to this? <laughs> how, how would you describe what's happening to your right? <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, this is like his thing. Like Garcetti would love this job. He would love it. He loves going around the country and sort of building his profile in different places. He loves being a climate mayor. Yeah, he and knows like, all the climate peeps. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very natural for him. And then it came out just a, a few hours ago from Politico that Garcetti is going to speak at a climate summit in the UK on December 12th, during which, by the way, our situation locally, I can tell you, is going to be a disaster. Is he right? going to leave? I took it to be it would be a Zoom It's a hosted appearance. by the UK, so you're right. But he's going to be a proxy for Biden and the Biden administration. Test run. I mean, like... It, Try before I'd you say, buy. I'd say book it. Book it. Yeah, why not? It's not a real position anyway. You might as well. I, I want to say, <laughs> I mean, aside from giving our mayor the advice to keep his hands in his pocket during, pockets during the Zoom call, <laughs> um, that, you know, this is, is kind of funny to see the the drawbacks of the Garcetti approach to politics, like basically anybody who ran a credible campaign against Joe Biden is experiencing a huge come up right now. Mm -hmm. Garcetti famously uh, wanted to run, but couldn't make a decision as is his want and, and ultimately decided to do nothing as is especially his want. Um, so now you end up in the situation where Pete Buttigieg is going to be like the the U.S. envoy to the United Nations, and um, mm -hmm. and Garcetti is on track for a much lower profile job, potentially being ambassador to Mexico or or this climate czar position, which I think you're probably right he will end up with. But nothing nothing risked nothing gained i suppose is is the moral of garcetti's story but i do think that it's it's really just you know when when you say that that climate change is is garcetti's thing this is definitely the milieu in which he has embedded himself but la's climate as you also said is a disaster our greenhouse gas emissions are worsening the ozone levels are the, the worst that they've been in decades and it's been a trend over the course of the latter half of his term in office that that the climate here is, is getting significantly worse and we don't have the the leadership to do anything about it. So to the extent that this climate czar position is a non-position, if it is just like a, a pure figure figurehead role where he gets to go um, around once COVID is done and have parties with the um, the frankly much more accomplished global elites and uh, then that's I guess okay but to the extent that he's responsible for shaping the direction in which our, our country heads I don't think anybody will be satisfied with what comes out of that I think that everybody stands to actually lose a lot and there's going to be harm done. And we should note that Sunrise Movement is one of the groups that has been protesting outside Garcetti's house along with Black Lives Matter and a large coalition. Today there was some brutality. There were people who were beaten, people were taken to jail. It seems like it's escalated. Jamie Penn, an elected official at the Wilshire yes. Center Koreatown Neighborhood Council, uh, was yeah. arrested. Who's been uh, on-site medic at those Yeah, the local Neighborhood protests. Council representative. Do you know what she was arrested for? Did you see what she was arrested for? No, what? She was arrested for lynching, which is, yes, that is... The technical term in the California state law for attempting to remove someone from police custody, which oh. at the time, I guess, that it was named was usually meant that you were removing them to kill them yourself. Oh, okay. But now we've hung on in the name of tradition. I guess we've hung on to that name in our in our legal system. So, yeah, we have I mean ongoing I, I think today was an escalation and like these organizers 
are they going to be how, how will they react if something gets announced and and what kind of blocking how does mm-hmm. blocking kind of accelerate once yeah. there is some kind of a position announced so that's definitely something to watch well i mean if you if you take it very literally the outcome of garcetti ending up as an ambassador even a high-ranking one um or a climate czar accomplishes the stated goal of blocking him from going to the cabinet but i think more generally speaking right if the goal is to block him from um i believe the term is failing upward then i think that they there would probably still be some unhappiness around that outcome let's talk about outdoor dining this was the thing i wouldn't have necessarily predicted this this is the thing that really made people snap of all the you know throughout the pandemic like all like all the rules and restrictions being put in place this feels like the one that led to individuals municipalities within la county like this is like the don't tread on me moment is like this eating outside what what was the the fallout from that this week Alyssa? well i think we talked last week or and the week i think definitely last week about Maybe how for the last like 20 episodes we've right. probably <laughs> talked about outdoor dining. last week we had lancaster with their lovely mayor coming out and saying we're not doing what la county is doing we're going to start our own health department which could set its own guidelines and that the judgment really... of paris i could have called the last episode <laughs> <laughs> damn it we're just going to talk through the title of the yeah. whole show. So now we have other cities that um, have also been saying this. That, and not that we also should also remember, we did talk about this too, how Pasadena and Long Beach already have their own health departments. Yeah. Pasadena's kind of tweaked its own rules. Although with what's going down at the state level, I don't really know how point what if there's any point of going through this any these motions anymore but beverly hills also passed um i think on december 1st council decision saying that they're going to set up their own health department whittier is going to set up its own health department so we're now we're seeing this autonomy being craved Mm -hmm. by these smaller cities and it's literally just because of dining like that's it's so they can open up their restaurants I mean, this is such a mess. It's it, it's such it's such a mess. It, it is the result of generations of California politicians coddling this as a, a valid form of expression. The the local control, which I mean, oftentimes is is used to express majoritarian power over things that small majorities should not have absolute control over and and in the case of a health crisis is just downright ludicrous i personally think that the only i i I would say that the reason why outdoor dining is the is such a pressing issue right now is because all of the governments involved have done such a tremendously poor job in things like messaging which is apparently an afterthought to city of la and even Gavin Newsom's administration, which with these regional ICU um, uh, demarcations that we were talking about in the last segment, they make no sense. They're, they are so quickly replaced by subsequent designations. Um, the, the map of the state looks like it was drawn by somebody who has never ventured out of the corridor between Sacramento and San Francisco and is not really that interested in, in the parts of the state where the remaining 75% of Californians live. Just no basis in reality. I think that all of the governments by managing this crisis so poorly have left themselves basically no ground to stand on. I think that if you did a really clean, like that, not to say that there would not be pushback. Of course there would. Of course there are still, as our friends at the LA Times like to remind us, you know, a million LA County residents who voted for Trump and many of whom likely do not believe that the virus is real and will not believe that even if it kills them. All of them appeared in my mentions this week. I'd like to give a shout out to, to <laughs> each and every one of them that told me that the virus was not real. But I do think that if if what we were talking about earlier was the case, if we had a message of things are very serious, 
there is a stay at home order, very similar to what Hayes wrote about on our blog. There's a stay at home order in effect for the next two weeks. That is something that is easy for people to wrap their minds around. Even if they hate it, they can understand the purpose. They can understand what is happening. And it's not this, you know, Swiss cheese approach where it seems like the government is very desperate to to create exemptions that benefit you know, certain businesses that like people, Mm -hmm. people hate this notion of the government picking winners and losers. Of course, it happens all the time. But when it is, in this case, so obvious, and so obviously, without other explanatory factors, and you end up with things that have not been demonstrated clearly to spread the virus being uh, forbidden while things that are more dangerous are allowed to proceed in the name of what appears to be like collecting tax dollars, although government officials say it's because people need to get paid at their jobs and pay rent, et cetera. I mean, this, this is where I think the breakdown comes in. So I have a segment related to this second week in a row. I have a, I have a place and thank you. This is, this one is shorter, but this one's good. My place this week is engine company number 28, which is stylized as engine co, no, co period, no period, 28. It is it is a restaurant. It's related to what we're talking about. It's a Wilshire and Figueroa. It's right across the street from the Wilshire Grand, the tallest building uh, west of the Mississippi fraudulently because of the stupid um, thing poking out of the top. The toothpick. Yeah. Engine company number 28. It was built as an actual fire department in 1912. It's a nice building. It's it's concrete, but it's got like a brick facade. And then it was closed in 1967 and was abandoned for the next 20 years and like when the very like bleak times for downtown. And then in the 80s, somebody looked at this building and said, power lunch. That is where people will go to eat a power lunch, which in the 80s was like a very popular way to eat lunch. So it became this restaurant for like downtown business people inspired by the regional cooking of firehouses across the country. So like bowls of just like unsauced spaghetti, just like microwave chicken breast. I, I mean, like I, I firehouse food is not something that a, a genre I've ever been that interested, in, but that's what this, this restaurant was designed to be. And now it's more like a boring, like new American place, but they do still serve meatloaf and meatloaf sandwiches. So, this past week, this restaurant sued the county of Los Angeles. After the last health order, outdoor dining was banned. The California Restaurant Association, which is the big lobbying group for restaurants in the state, they sued the county they called the ban unconstitutional. And then also, separately, just this restaurant did on its own. Engine company number 28. And so I'm reading this art, this LA Times article. I'm like, why does why does this restaurant do its own lawsuit? Right. Like, what's happening? And I see its lawyer is Mark Garagos. And Mark Garagos is a super lawyer. He's like a defense lawyer. He was most famous for representing Michael Jackson in his molestation case. (laughs) Yeah. And Scott Peterson for murdering his wife. Yep. At the same time, simultaneously, he was uh, representing those cases. It's a big year for anybody. Yep. He also represented... Chris Brown also still represents Colin Kaepernick, also represented Jesse Smollett. He's from L.A. He went to Flint Ridge Prep. He's like a luminary in the Armenian community. And now he represents the Fireman restaurant. And (laughs) I was like, why? Why is Mark Garagos representing this restaurant? The answer is very simple. He owns a restaurant. He owns a whole building that it's in. His office is above the restaurant. But the story of his ownership is very interesting. He bought this building with his partner, Brian Kabatek. And the two of them just like love architecture. They bought this building in 2007 for $10 million. Very good deal. They also bought the nearby, the Fine Arts Building on 7th, Mm -hmm. which is most famous for being Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Tom's, favorite building in Los Angeles. I knew you were going to say (laughs) I knew that was going to be. In 500 days of summer. But then Garagos and Cabotec started turning their 
legal powers against each other. It's always very dangerous when two <laughs> lawyers are friends with each other. That eventually they will uh, start suing each other. And that's what happened starting after they bought a plane together and Cabotech accused Garagos of seizing control of the plane, not in midair, on the, on the ground. <laughs> on the ground. And hiding the plane in a secret hangar where only he could access it. So they had this huge falling out. Cabotec moved out of the firehouse. He used to have his office there too. And now Garagos is in there alone and he's suing the county separately. Probably has something to do with the fact that he also sued Travelers Insurance for not reimbursing him for his business being affected by COVID. Which it doesn't seem to be being affected. He seems to be working a lot. Right. But mostly for himself right now. And I think he's hoping to land like a landmark ruling on his various businesses being affected by COVID and needing to be reimbursed in some capacity or, or allowed to operate. It's kind of silly so, when you like yeah. shell out for a private plane, but you don't pay the extra hundred bucks to like low jacket so that you know what happens <laughs> when somebody decides <laughs> to hide someone, it from like, you. Standing around watching it, you know? <laughs> so what's really interesting about this case is there's this judge, James Chalfont, who is involved in a lot of like big cases in LA County, who has not given a ruling really yet or hasn't even really agreed to like review the case in a meaningful way. But he did say that the county on, on Tuesday, tomorrow, as you're listening to this, has to provide evidence as to why outdoor dining is dangerous, what evidence they're going off of. That evidence is like kind of hard to come by, especially in L.A. County. We don't have contact tracing at all. Like it's un like this kind of thing hasn't really been fully documented. We yet. do have contact tracing. I mean, we do have a contact. Tracing yes, we have program. a contact tracing system, yes. but not one that is it's not enough giving, providing us with enough. like yes. information right now. And you know, like I don't think we know exactly how people are contract. Like the virus is everywhere, so it's hard to say how someone is contracting something. What I would be most concerned about is not necessarily the people who are eating outside but just the additional people that now have to be inside the restaurant because of needing servers to be going yeah. in and out. Servers are around unmasked people all day long. Mm -hmm. Even though it's outside, it's an airborne virus. It, it hovers, mm -hmm. and it just adds to the number of people that have to be in the place. That would be the primary consideration for me in shutting this down. But I'm curious I mean, to see what the county says. But they, yeah, isn't the data we're completely screwed and yes. we don't have any capacity if even one person got sick well, at your yes. restaurant. I mean, yeah, but so so that that's sort of the thing, right? Is like this, this I feel like is the, I mean, they've taken it so far that, that it is potentially now a legally fraught ap approach. I don't think that there's, uh, I don't think that there's much in the way of dispute about the ability of, state and local governments to effectively shut down everything. I mean, we did it. There was, there weren't really legal challenges to it. I think that really the two, the two exceptions that have been made most clearly are protests and, and religious services on, on first amendment grounds. But when you are going through and you're making 14 pages of exceptions to your order, and saying all of these things are still valid expressions of of like public movement, then I feel like you actually do open yourself to the challenge of mm -hmm. what makes one of these activities more valid than another. And are you just arbitrarily using your authority to shut down things that that are not personally beneficial to you as a representative of the government? I don't. So I, I think that if if the county and if the city of Los Angeles were to say we're doing a total shutdown, that would alleviate the pressure to find the, the evidence that they don't have that outdoor dining is right. a particularly dangerous yes. thing to do right now. That's what leads you to the situation where the, the bar owner in Sherman Oaks walks across the street to where the craft services is happening for a film shoot. And makes a video that has gone mega viral, especially in conservative circles, showing that, like, the, why did they leave this open and close down my 
bar closed down outdoor dining at my at my at, uh, my place of business and like the outcry is like disingenuous to some extent because a lot of the people saying this don't believe covid exists but it's also i mean she's not wrong like it is like it's like the unfairness is kind of like transparent that is covered by like scott saying if you if if you did just shut down everything even for two weeks which would also be like a gesture of seriousness but would be just absolutely devastating for so many people so on our way out let's talk about a couple things these are this is kind of like all in the same conversation let's talk about the lapd and just like money in general and like like state and city budgets so the lapd there are a couple stories this week one was lapd officers who had been charged with uh, felony reporting of false information which we've talked about a couple times on the show multiple officers have been charged for entering people in the system as gang members even though there was they had not provided any information suggesting that they were nine cases previously that those officers had been involved in convictions or, or, or cases had been thrown out dismissed and on friday 15 more cases wow tossed because those because it depended on testimony of those officers who have now are on their way to being convicted potentially as as liars and these are officers once again in the metropolitan division the elite metropolitan division elite squad vaunted but troubled yes also in lapd news involving substantially more officers rich llewellyn the city administrative officer came out with a report on Friday, saying, you know, the city has to find cuts somewhere. We've got, I've heard the bu- the budget deficit estimated as being anywhere between 600 and $850 million. It's just massive in terms of lost revenue because of COVID. Rich Llewellyn says we've got, uh, got to find cuts. Half of the budget uh, of our discretionary fund is spent on LAPD. If we are going to meet our like our, what what we have to spend, we are going to have to fire as many as 951 officers. This is a giant number. It's like nothing that's ever really been considered at the city level. The that like police union and uh, Chief Moore predictably just like absolutely freaked out about it. Uh, this is coming after. This is um in addition. This is on top of the 150 million in cuts that have already happened with the LAPD. But all of this, I want to talk about just like briefly about like how all of this is kind of like messaging, like with like with when we talk about budget deficits right now, it's kind of a marketing thing where the city and the state are trying to to send a message in an effort to to get bailed out or to get something else to happen. This report came out from Rich Llewellyn's office to try and get LAPD back to the bargaining table to delay the raises that they got last year it's like kind of a threat but it's saying like this is so it's like your mom holding your game boy over the trash like yeah. like she'll let go you know if you don't agree to do whatever but like she's not going to drop your game boy in the trash and the city of la has absolutely no intention i look i i would love to be wrong they're not going to fire 951 officers there is no universe where they would actually go through with this threat. I don't think. I don't know. I mean I mean well go ahead. No, I, I, I tend to I tend to agree with that line of thinking, but they are now and have been for quite some time in what probably to people who have been involved in the defund the police protests in the the anti-police brutality demonstrations etc throughout the year probably seems like a you know tempest in a in a teacup because we're not actually talking about huge LAPD cuts or anything but nonetheless LAPD and the the city government at large are engaged in what is for them very very serious and very very rare and very very public dispute and you know we we had the the extremely strange spectacle earlier this year uh i think maybe just a month or a month and a half ago of the city going and making that request of the lappl to come to the bargaining table about delaying raises 
again, as we've said many times, not even saying you won't get this money that was promised to you eventually, but the city is in dire financial straits and we need the uh, the flexibility in our budgets in order to stave off things like having to lay off a lot of people. And the LAPPL, the Police Protective League, told them in not very polite terms to go fuck themselves. Yeah. And um, I think the, the letter... Was a, it was like an acrostic, the first letter <laughs> on the left hand side of, of the I press think, release. I think, that the, that out. I think that the press release actually ended with the phrase, good luck. Good uh, luck. Yeah, so, so... That's what it should say, instead of to serve and protect on the side of the... <laughs> Yeah, so the the LAPPL dramatically raised the stakes by saying that they would be not be partners in any effort to um, to uh, forfend mm-hmm. the the uh, fiscal cliff that the city finds itself in. Which they're still saying, by the way. I mean, this only came out on Friday, but like no indication that this is working towards getting the police union back to the bargaining table. And when they ask Garcetti about it, yeah. the pre- when Claudia, asked Claudia all the good questions. wonderful Claudia Pasciuta at KNX, always reliable to ask a great question. She asked about, like, what what do you think about, are you, are you trying to get them back to the bargaining table? What do you think that they won't that they won't do it? And he said, we're talking to all the unions. We're bargaining with all the unions. It's like, no, you're not. They actually, no, you're not. <laughs> they refuse. I mean, I guess that's communication when they send you a letter saying, we refuse to negotiate with you. Yeah, but, that's the opening of negotiations, yeah. um, famously. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I, all, all of that to say, um, general terms, I agree with what you're saying. It's hard to imagine the city following through with this threat, but in the context of everything that's been going on, how can you not really like if, if well, this is really yeah. the end of, of negotiations, how can you not follow through with what you said is the path to financial viability absent any changes? I have an answer for that, which is this is not just marketing to the police union. It's like a gesture of seriousness and the urgency of the crisis to higher levels of government. One is to the state, which has we've talked about this, I think, a little bit, but I haven't seen much discussion of it. The state, it turns out, has a $26 billion surplus right now. Right. They expected a $50 billion deficit. They have a $26 billion surplus because all the rich people in the state got richer. Like our our state revenue is dependent on income tax. And when you read about like, holy shit, Jeff Bezos and like Elon Musk like tripled their wealth over the pandemic, a lot of that money, Jeff, Amazon doesn't pay taxes, Jeff Bezos does. Right. And a lot of that money went to the California state government. And that's why we have a surplus right now. A lot of that money has to go towards refilling cuts that were made to like the school system. That's where it'll go first. I think $11 billion was cut from schools and things like that. But there is money to be given out to struggling municipalities. Maybe not necessarily to like refill budget deficits, but to do things like I think California could single-handedly, for example, bring back the boosted unemployment payments if they wanted to, which like yeah. held up the entire economy for months in the pandemic. But the real target, the, the like, the, the like the one that has the bullseye on it is the Biden administration, yeah, and that's what they are. And Nancy Pelosi in Congress, and they are fighting so hard, like in all these negotiations. What the, the Democrats are really, really pushing for is what the Republicans call the blue state bailout, which is like giving big cities and big states just money to refill their coffers to like tide over their budgets. And particularly transit, which were right. our transit systems are going to fail. Yes, they are. And so that is, I think what we're holding out for and in the in the current negotiation the trillion dollar or like a 900 billion dollar package that looks like they might have enough support to get out of the senate that i think is what la is saying hey we're in huge trouble here we're about to fire a thousand cops our transit system's failing all these other horrible things are happening we need a lot of this money so it's some of it is like selling we do have a budget crisis but we are also as a as a city working to sell it extra hard i think to a number of different parties does that 
Makes sense. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and I think you would absolutely love to see the state come come through for the the many municipalities that are are failing right now, and um, and also for the unemployed Californians. I I wonder. I, I think that there's there's probably something to the notion of. Um, of uh, levers in in city hall being activated to be like Rich Llewellyn, please give us something that we can just hand yeah. over to Biden's transition team. I think yeah, there's probably something to that. Yeah, that's it. Boy, what are we going to talk about next week? Like, what is it? What is going to be happening next week? Ten thousand cases today. Just what are we going to be dealing with? And for anyone who is primarily a fan of the show for our discussion of the federal corruption case at city hall i'm so sorry that we didn't get to this week there was another indictment one that we've been tipping forever i think part of why we haven't talked about it is like it's a it was disappointing for me i'll be honest you know as like a fan of <laughs> any like ongoing series you're like oh i've been waiting for this episode forever and it was like pretty flat and there was nothing we didn't know ray chan former deputy mayor, former head of building and safety for the city of L.A., was finally indicted. He was individual one in former council member Jose Huizar's earlier indictment. Now he has been brought in on a bunch of counts. How many counts, Scott? God, 30, no, 40 some odd, I think, yeah. total And counts. you've been going through this new document, right, and adding it to the master file that you have going. Yeah, I'm going to open source the, the LA podcast Please. timeline. Yeah. But was there anything real? I, like I didn't see much that was new. I, I had said for a long time after the election, he's going to get brought in and it's going to implicate somebody else who was, uh, who was running for election uh, on November 3rd. And it did a tiny bit, but not that much. Yeah, I, I would say that the the biggest news is in terms of who who is being charged here, and and I do think we we should give it a fuller segment. But what we see is the difference in treatment between some. So Fuer Yuan, who signed a non prosecution agreement with the federal government, that was not not the case with. Wei Huang, another developer operating in the downtown area, working on the, the LA Grand Hotel. So there, there are differences emerging. The prosecution has apparently determined that they have enough to proceed on these cases, and anybody who's not cooperating at this point is going to get the the book thrown at them in a big way. But we have no. Um, there's been no plea agreement in Ray Chan's case, right? He hasn't pled anything. No, so these, this was the the first time that charges were were brought against him. So he will have the ability to enter a plea whenever his arraignment is. So we'll talk about this more in a future episode when we have more time and like you know other disaster permitting. Thank you for listening to LA Podcast. We'll be back next week. Bye.